Um, this is cool to think about. The Schaefer family, right? Matt and Lee Beth and their sons, uh, or son and daughter, sons. Um, they're one of the pillars of this church. Uh, what an awesome thing. I mean, he's, sometimes when I think about Matt Schaefer, I'm, I'm thinking about the college student. Um, but he has given his life uh, to this church over the years, and, and his family really has become uh, one of the pillars that people lean upon in this church uh, relationally. Um, and so they're a big part of who we are. Uh, always want to thank um, the wife of whoever's teaching, because we know that she had some extra child duty this week while Matt was uh, getting ready to share. Um, but here's some of the things that Matt Schaefer's been doing over the last couple of years that I think everybody needs to, you know, recognize and, and be thankful for. He's led over the last, how many years would you say, like four or five years? Is it more than that? About five years, he's led UCF for us uh, and given a ton of time. He's run those meetings, and so a lot of it, you know, uh, he's learned how to teach kind of on UK's campus uh, with our uh, college group. Uh, and now he leads a home group, uh, an awesome, vibrant home group, uh, with the Wilsons um, and with the Eatons. I'm trying to look for you guys as I, as I see. With Luke and Jacqueline, uh, just a great group full of uh, energy, young kids and the presence of God. Uh, so we're excited about that. He's going to, so he's been part of the group that's been going through Ephesians together. So he's going to lead us through Ephesians tonight. And I'm really excited for this reason because, you know, Matt and I are both big UK fans. And we particularly don't like Tennessee. And so we're, we're, we're virtually guaranteed to get out of here on time tonight. So be excited about that. One of the bonuses of my dad not teaching tonight is... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can promise that. But oh, he we'll doesn't see. promise it. All right. He's become spiritual. Amen. <laughs> well, let's welcome Matt. All right. Well, thank you. Make sure this is on. Yep. Y'all hear me okay? All right. All right, well, um, I guess I'm batting third in our lineup of preaching mats. We had Matt Henderson kick us off in uh, uh, our study of Ephesians, and then two weeks ago, uh, Matt Hellman walked us through um, this section that we're going to be in for another couple of weeks. Uh, I guess we'll have to recruit Piscucci or Oatley or somebody to come and teach next week. We can just keep the, the trend going, so... Uh, but we're in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's, let's flip over there. We're going to stay in this same text tonight uh, that Hellman walked us through uh, a few weeks ago, but we're going to focus in on, on one particular theme. So, uh, like Matt shared a couple weeks ago, one of the ways that this passage is often studied is by looking at the Father, at the Son, and at the Holy Spirit. So if you look at uh, verses 3 through 6, we see the Father, we see his plan for how he ultimately chose us. Then in verse 7, he begins to speak of Jesus, what the Son does, what his ministry and the shedding of his blood did for us. And then finally, the section rounds out by talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, which Paul says is our, our guarantee of all of, of these things. So there's this Trinitarian structure to this passage. And so uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of doing a deep dive into each of these figures of the Godhead. And so tonight I'm going to be talking about the Father. Um, so let's pray. 
Father, we just come before you tonight, and uh, we, we want to come before you humble and just say um, that we need you, Lord. We need to know you as, as Father, whether this is the, the first time ever hearing about um, this idea of, of uh, God being a Father, or if, if uh, this has, has shaped our lives over the years. We just submit, Lord, that we need to come to this truth afresh tonight, and we need to continually come and uh, just be awed by the fact that you are our Father. And so I pray tonight you would come, and by your Holy Spirit, that you would minister your fatherhood to us tonight, that there would be a cry in this room in every heart uh, that says, Abba, Father, and that, Spirit, you would come and, and minister fatherhood to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so th this uh, is a fundamental teaching. If you've been around uh, the, the CF churches at all, this idea of God being a father is really foundational to, to who we are. And it was actually the very first, one of the first CF events I ever went to, the UCF retreat, 14 years ago. We were in Gatlinburg. Does anybody remember this at all? Was there anybody at this retreat? Okay, Gatlinburg UCF retreat 14 years ago. Uh, that was my, my very first UCF event. And uh, Chad Grissom led the, the teachings for that retreat. And this was the particular topic of fatherhood. And it really captured me back then uh, and, and was uh, kind of foundational for me getting established in LCF. So uh, I'm excited to, to talk about it tonight. So. Let's open up to Ephesians and uh, let's, let's start and, and look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Make sure our clicker is working here. There we go. All right, uh, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, right at the beginning of Ephesians in chapter 1, we see that Paul wants us to know that God is first and foremost a father. Right off the bat here at the beginning, he says, guys, there is a father. He's your father. He says, our father. But then he also says he is the father of Jesus. So Paul immediately in his, his letter to the Ephesian church wants them to know there's a father. He's your father and he's the father of Jesus. Let's keep on going here. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see here in this passage that God chose or predestined that he would have sons. And I think that the main verb in this particular verse is that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So here we see a good, blessing father choose us in his beloved son before the foundation of the, of the world. There should be a picture emerging in our minds of a good, generous, kind, well-intentioned father. He has a great plan for the universe, and he wants to have children, and he wants those children to be holy and blameless before him. We can see here in this passage strong images of, of family, a household, that God is the head, spirit and son participating him, 
participating with him in, in everything that he's, he's doing. Another point here in, in this particular passage is about the eternal nature of God's fatherhood. God has always been a father. Verse 4 says that he predestined us for adoption as sons before the foundation of the world. And later on in Ephesians in chapter 3 verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So before there was ever a human being on earth, there was fatherhood. There was a father and a son because God was always a father to Jesus. God's fatherhood was first and he made us such that human fatherhood was supposed to point to his perfect fatherhood. Let me just say right here, we need help. We need help today in this particular truth, knowing God as Father. And everyone here in this room has two primary reference points for what fatherhood is. The first would be our own earthly experiences of what uh, our own dads were like. And then uh, the second being the fathers that we see in the, the culture around us. So as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about what what does culture tell us fatherhood is? And so here you can see up there uh, just some of the, the images of fatherhood that we are getting from uh, the, the culture. So you've got the cartoon dads up there. You've got Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin, Hank Hill. Um, and, and this is a, a serious point here is like in our culture, there is um, an emphasis on fatherhood and we, we, we see the, the rise in, in television and in culture of like the, the buffoon father. They're just kind of bumbling idiots. They, they, they're stupid. They don't really, uh, they're, they're often to, made to look like fools. Uh, they're lazy, selfish. They have no power over what happens to them. They have no authority over their own lives or their families. Um, they might, uh, you know, especially the sitcom dads might have a good one-liner at the end of an episode to try to uh, resolve some of the conflict. But um, generally, by and large, in culture, this is what we see from, from fatherhood. And think about the, the movies, uh, especially movies that are depicting um, single dads. It's always they're always deadbeats. They can't take care of themselves. They can barely cook. Their house is a mess and, and they can't do anything right. And so they, that's what culture is, is communicating uh, with us about fatherhood. So we need help. Uh, we, we need to look to the scripture. We need to see what true fatherhood is. And, and Jesus came to break through all of this confusion and really show us what, who the father is, the original father. I think there's also a tendency uh, to take our own experiences that we have with our earthly fathers and project them onto God. All of the good, but then also all of the bad as well. And far too often we let our posture that we have towards our earthly fathers impact our ability to relate to our heavenly father. When we hold bitterness or resentment or disdain for our earthly fathers, it's also very, it, it's very difficult for us to relate properly to our, our heavenly father. Um, I'm blessed with an amazing dad. Uh, you can see their uh, picture on the screen. Um, this is, is my dad, Greg Schaefer. Um, and, and growing up, my dad 
always wanted to bring me into the things that he was doing. My dad loves to golf. You can see he had a, a golf club in my hand at two years old. Uh, my dad loves going to, to sporting events. We've been to, I, I can't even count uh, the number of games that we've been to. We have a goal to go to every Major League Baseball stadium, and I think we're close to, uh, I think we're about at 20 right now, so we're about two-thirds of the way there. Um, my dad loves physical activity, running, hiking, biking, things like that. Um, and so that's what we did. And, and he still talks about my first baseball game that he ever took me to, my first trip to Rupp Arena. Uh, he talks about hiking with our family in the, the Smoky Mountains. And so my dad had this innate desire for me as his son to participate with him in the things that he loves and the things that he was doing. And I, I never had any doubt that, that my dad loved me. He, he told me all the time. And so that, that desire, a son participating with his dad, the dad loving the son, showing him the things that he loves, teaching the son about how the world works uh, and the wonderful things in it. This all originates in God because God is the original father. He's first and foremost a father. He's always been and he always will be. And our heavenly father also has desires. Like we can see here in Ephesians, he's got a plan. He wants to show us his heart, and, and he wants us to, to, to show us the things that, that he loves. Um, but God has, has uh, always been a father. There was never a time when, when he wasn't a father to the son. So maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, that's great, you had a good dad, uh, but I didn't. And, and I know that's many of our experiences uh, is, is uh, um, some hardships that you incur because of the failures of, of your earthly father. And, and maybe you're here tonight and you really don't know what true fatherhood is, is meant to be because of the examples that you have around you. Or maybe you just need to, to reconnect with this idea that you have a heavenly father who loves you and wants to bring you into what he is doing in his plan. So tonight, I just want to focus on some attributes of God as Father that we see in Ephesians and some other portions of Scripture uh, that communicate about God's perfect fatherhood. And the main point I want to leave you with tonight is that regardless of your experience with your earthly dad, regardless, uh, your heavenly Father is good and perfect, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you and walk with you and bring you into what he's doing in the earth. Okay, so I've got seven things, seven attributes of, of God the Father that I want to talk about. So here's number one. Number one, God is a father who blesses his children. He blesses his children. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So God is a father who blesses. He loves to bless. And I think blessing is a, a misunderstood word because we, we overuse it a lot. But what does it actually mean to, to bless? And when I went to the, the Greek word here, the definition just says uh, to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessing. And so God blessing us as his children means that he is speaking over us in a way that we can be who he wants us to be. He is causing us 
to thrive. He's causing us to prosper. And so we see this picture of God, the Father, who is a blessing God, and he gives us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us by our Father. And there's countless examples in the Old Testament of fathers blessing their sons. All of the patriarchal fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, give formal blessings to their children. And the, the blessing was very important to the father and also to the children because a lot of times it specified inheritance rights and also included prophetic statements about their sons and their future. And so God wants to, to bless you. He wants to give you everything that he has. He knows you. He knows your future. He sees who he created you to be. And he wants to bless you and speak that future into existence. And just as the patriarchal fathers blessed their sons, gave them their inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that we also, through the Father in Christ, have an inheritance. And remember the point that Matt shared last week when he came up after worship uh, and, and read from Psalm 2, which says, uh, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten of you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. And so our inheritance in Christ, given to us by our Father, is that we would participate with God in winning the nations. He wants us to cause, to cause us to prosper, to look like Jesus, so that we can, with him, redeem the world. That we can uh, draw people back to our Father. And that's our inheritance that we have with him. So that's number one. God is a father who blesses his children. Number two, God is a father who delights in his children. He delights. We know that he delights in his son Jesus. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, God says, uh, or, or Paul says, that God has blessed us in the beloved. God is saying, I have a son and I love him. He is my beloved. At Jesus' baptism and also uh, the transfiguration on the mountain are uh, two of the instances where we actually hear the audible voice of God. And what does he say? He says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. So God loves his son Jesus. But there's something else that brings him delight as well. Let's look again at Ephesians 1, uh, this time in verse 5. In love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now think about these words for a second. He predestined us in love, according to the good pleasure of his will. And so I want you to know tonight that the Father, our Father in heaven, delighted to make you. That he is our maker and he delights in what he has made. That same emotion that God the Father has for Jesus when he says, this is my beloved son, he has for us. God's saying, I'm going to have more sons and daughters. They're going to live with me. They're going to be like me. We're going to live life together. And I am excited about what I am doing. It's my good pleasure to do this. And so I want you to know tonight that you can be God's delight, that you can be the Father's delight. And he wants you to know that when he sees you, 
He is excited about you. And he is excited about what he is going to do in you if you're his son or his daughter. Uh, I love this in Luke chapter 12 uh, when, when Jesus says that it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is excited to turn his household over to us, his people. So that's number two. God is a father who delights in his children. Number three, God is a father who provides. He provides every need. Let's look again from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Key in on that word, every. Every spiritual blessing. Everything that we need for life and godliness, he has given us in Christ. He is mighty. He's omnipotent. He can do anything in our lives that is needed. And he knows what we need, and he can provide whatever is needed for you to live like his son. So Paul here is talking about spiritual blessing, but we also know from Jesus's ministry uh, that the Father is going to give us every physical need that we have too. Let's read from uh, Matthew in chapter six. Uh, I think we probably all know this, this passage. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The same passage from Luke's gospel in chapter 11. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So father provides. He sees the needs of his family and he provides. And the world around us is anxious about providing for themselves. But Jesus came to teach us to trust the father, to believe that he can and will give us everything that we need as his children, whether that's food and shelter or uh, spiritual grace to, to live life how he's called us to live. So we need to learn to, to trust the father that he is uh, the provider of every need. All right, number four, uh, God the Father is our source of life. He's our source of life. He's our creator. And God did not create begrudgingly. Paul says in Ephesians, this was his plan since before the world existed. So can we just rest in the fact tonight that God delights that we exist? Sin and separation from God have tainted this fact but God the Father created you with intention. And for some people, because of their experiences, uh, this is a truth that really needs to, to break through in, in your heart. And why is that? Because fathers leave. Fathers aren't what they're supposed to be. Fathers fail. And so there's this thinking like, I'm no good. Nobody wants me. I'm not... Uh, I'm not worthy of, of love or affection. And so I want you to know tonight that you were God's idea, that he loves you for that very reason. We need to know God as father and receive our identity from him. 
And he wanted this to be the case before the world even existed. And he paid the highest price possible to make it happen by sacrificing his perfect son to adopt you and I into his family. Now, even the world can recognize that there is value in fathers creating their children with intention. We all know there's uh, the word for children born out of a marriage relationship. And think about what that term actually signifies. You were a mistake. You were an accident. There was no purpose or intention in bringing you into an existence. It was not a choice of will. It was not a part of a larger plan or, or purpose. But that's not how God operates. God says, I'm building a family, and it's my will that you are here. I want you here. I want you in my family. There's purpose. There is intention. And that is the intense desire of of God's heart. There's no accidents in, in God's family. So you were created by your father with intention. So that's number four. He's our source of life. He's our creator. Number five, God is involved in our lives. He's involved in our lives. He's not indifferent. He's not distant. He's not remote. He's always involved in our lives, and he's always wanting to involve us into his life in what he's doing. And this whole section in Ephesians 1 is about God the Father working through Jesus to accomplish his plan. He wants to work with his sons. Rarely does God just do things on his own. And as as Matt Hellman shared uh, a couple weeks ago, if you look at this passage, God is the primary actor, the father, but he's always doing things through and with the son in every instance here. So every time the father does an action, it's always done through Christ to achieve his purposes. And we've seen this from the very beginning. Go back and think about um, Adam and, and Eve in the garden. When God created Adam, he said, I want you to participate with me. I want you to help bring the fullness out of creation, that it would reach its potential. And God never changes. That's still the desire of his heart to work with his sons. And many people through the the distance of a father or lack of a father's presence don't understand this, but God cares about the details of your life. He wants to be involved in all of it. And there's something in our culture, particularly in America, uh, where we really struggle with this. Having fathers that are present, that care, and that are involved in their children's lives. And I just pulled some of these uh, statistics about fatherlessness in America. So just read some of these. 18 million children in America without a father. That's uh, three times more than the global average of 7%. We're talking about about 25% of children in America without a father. Uh, I'm realizing now these might be too small to read. but I'll just run through them real quick. 63% of youth suicides from fatherless homes. 85% of children uh, that experience behavioral disorders from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts. 75% of adolescents in substance abuse centers. 
girls from fatherless homes eight times more likely to, to get pregnant as teenagers. And it's not just from fatherless homes, but also homes where the dad is just distant or doesn't care about being a father, doesn't care about parenting. This is amazing to me. On average, for a school-age boy, a father will spend about 30 minutes a week in one-on-one conversation with their, their son. And by comparison, that same son will spend about 60 hours uh, watching TV, playing video games, or on the internet. So there is a, a pandemic in our culture of, of fatherlessness, and it's clear how essential fathers are to upbringing and being involved in, in children's lives. Um, and, and so we see this played out in earthly fathers, but how much more also our heavenly father, that we need him involved in our lives, that we need to be fathered by God in a, a deep way. So God cares about the details of our life. He wants to talk to us uh, about all of it. He has things to say about all of it, and he wants to get down into the the nitty-gritty of of your life. So that's number five. God is a father who is involved uh, in, in his children. Number six. God is a father who disciplines his children. God disciplines his children. God is a good father. He loves us. He delights in us. He has a plan for us, and he wants us to join him in building his house. But because of sin, he has to chasten us. He has to discipline us. Paul knows this truth and even instructs the Ephesian fathers in chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Chad read the uh, scripture from Hebrews 12 last week about discipline. I'll read it again. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is training you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. So for a father not to discipline his children, he might as well not parent them at all. You might as well kick your kids out on the street and let them live on their own. For God to treat us as true sons and daughters, he has to discipline. He has to bring correction, bring chastening to our lives. And think about the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament but a story of a father chastening his children, the nation of Israel. And consistently, time after time, consistent punishment, warning ahead of time, but he did it because he was a good father and because he loves Israel. So the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so God does things in our lives and we think that they're hard. We're tempted to say that this is not God. We're tempted to give into this picture of God 
that just gives us what we want all of the time, who's never hard on us, but that's not God. That's an idol that we're creating in our own minds. And so to understand the fatherhood of God is to understand that he knows better what we need. And this comes with hard lessons because he's treating us as sons and daughters. So much like the point that that Chad made last week from Hebrews, we should embrace that discipline. We should embrace that chastening because it's a sign that God loves us and he wants to bring us through uh, and and bear more fruit in our lives uh, after the pruning. So that's number six. God the Father disciplines his children. Last one here. Number seven, God the Father has vision and direction for his family. God has all kinds of plans and purposes for his children. Here in this passage, we clearly see vision, direction, and purpose. He has a plan for where he is going. And and Matt walked us through these passages, but uh, let's just look at them again from Ephesians 1. In verse 5, it says, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. Again in verse 9, according to his purpose. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. So God clearly has a will. He has a purpose. He has a plan. That that plan has been in place since the world existed. And that plan is that through his son, all things would be united to him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with the idea that God has a will and a purpose and it's at work in the world. Because you look around, you see a lot of bad stuff. And I, I can't even begin to answer the, uh, the question about why uh, bad things happen in the world the way they do. But we can take comfort from scripture um, in, in God's will, in, in God's plan. And this is from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So you can be assured in your life that whatever happens to you, maybe it's not his will, but he wants to use it to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. He can take anything that happens in your life and use it to make you look more like his son. That's always been his intention, is that there's nothing that could happen to us that God can't take and use to make us look like Jesus. And Ephesians says that he predestined that that would be the case, that we would be sons that are holy and blameless before him. So there's nothing that can happen to us that God cannot use to move us to where he wants us to be, and that's looking more like Jesus. So that's the list. That's our seven. I left it at seven for the sake of time, but really, this sermon could last forever. You you can't run out of things uh, to talk about when you're speaking about God as as Father. So the last thing I want to say before we move on to, to application. All of these things, his provision, his blessing, his involvement, his chastening, all of these things are an expression of his love. All of this is done because of of love. 
And so we can't define love as, as our Father gives us what we want all the time or explaining things to us uh, that, that make sense on our own terms. But what we can do is say that when he does chasten us, when he does bless us, when he is involved in our lives, that that is his love. And so we can't bring our, our own notions of, of love into God's fatherhood, but we need to let the Son, Jesus, come and teach us what the love of the Father is like. So let's wrap up and talk about how you may be feeling tonight, hearing these truths about God's fatherhood. The point is that God is a perfect father. He's always been a father. He always will be a father. He wants you to be his son or daughter. He paid the ultimate price to bring you back into his family. So maybe you're here tonight and you just need to hear the fact that God, your father, is pleased with you. That God is pleased with you. He is well pleased. He has delight in his son Jesus, and he has delight in you as well. Billy always shares about how he really grabbed a hold of this truth for the first time when he was five years old. So I don't know. um, There's a couple little babies in here. I don't think they're capable of hearing this. But if there's any kids in the room tonight, you need to know that God is your father, that you have a father, that just as your mommy and daddy take care of you, you have a heavenly father who wants to take care of you. He wants you to be in his family. And uh, you're, you're never too young to, to hear that truth and accept that truth. So maybe you just need to hear this afresh tonight, that God delights in you. He's pleased in you. Maybe you just need to rest in the fact that God is your father. Paul starts Ephesians by offering peace from God our Father. The Father's presence is a place of peace. Scripture talks about how Jesus was at the bosom of the Father, and it was a place of, of perfect peace. So maybe you just need to come and rest with the Father tonight and just be in his presence. Maybe you need to receive healing from the failures of, of your earthly father. Maybe the brokenness of, of your earthly father is impacting your ability to relate to your heavenly father. And know tonight that your heavenly father is perfect in every way, that he knows you, he sees you, he loves you. He created you with intention and purpose to participate with him, be with him in his family. So maybe tonight you just need to come and meet with God and let go, let go of your bitterness, let go of anything that is keeping you from relating to God as father so you can properly relate to him. Maybe tonight you feel like because of sin in your life that your father does not love you. That you're not good enough for his love or that you're not worthy or that the father is angry with you because of your sin. And tonight you need to meet with God and know that God, your father, wants to forgive He wants to forgive. He has forgiven lavishly, and there is no sin too great that he can't deal with. Then lastly, maybe you're you're rebelling against God's fatherhood in your life. Just take a second and, and think about what rebellion really is. I'm not going to submit to your will. I don't want to be in your house I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to participate in your plan. 
but I do want my inheritance. That's rebellion. What does that remind us of? The prodigal son. So maybe you need to come like that prodigal son, come to your senses and return to your father's house. So as we consider this, um, as we think about where we are with the father tonight, I want to just take a minute and read about our father's heart from that that famous parable that, that I just mentioned. Okay, so this is from Luke chapter 15, verse 20. This is from the the prodigal son. Verse 20. The son got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So the father sees the son while he is a long way off. God is not busy with other things that he cannot see his sons and daughters who are far off from him. His affairs are in order. His house is taken care of, and he is free to be concerned about his children, and that is the preoccupation of his heart. He doesn't care about anything else. God is looking for his lost sons and daughters, and before anybody else sees, God our Father sees. He is waiting. He's watching. He sees every twitch of every soul, and he is eagerly waiting for sons and daughters to return to him. He saw him when he was far off, and he felt compassion for him. There's something in Almighty God, our Father, that has compassion for lost sons and daughters. I love this one. He ran. Think about that. This is a a, a middle-aged guy, owner of a significant estate. He's got servants at his, his beck and call. There's probably a certain decorum that you would be expected to maintain as a person Uh, of this stature. These people don't normally run. But here we see a father who has thrown away all of those uh, middle-aged decorum. He's thrown it to the wind. He's given himself over to the joy of his heart, and he is running towards his lost son who is returning to him. That is the joy of his heart to be reunited with his son. And that's the way our father feels about us when when we return to him. And he embraced him and kissed him. We need to know that this is our father. This is his heart towards his children. He does not hold people at arm's length, but he embraces. And I think there's a reason why Jesus includes all of this vivid detail in this parable. He wants you to feel something about the way God the Father welcomes his children home back to his house. So the father says to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let us, be, let us eat and, and be merry. So here we see the lavish welcome of the father. He gets the best robe, the robe of sonship, not the robe of slavery. The robe of full, lavish, enthusiastic, unrestrained restoration to the family. And that's the way the father feels when children return to him. And this is, our, uh, this is who our father is. So no one has the perfect earthly father, but we need to know tonight that our heavenly father is perfect. So can we take all of the, the good parts uh, of our father, throw away the bad, come to scripture and see who our perfect heavenly father is? 
He is a good and faithful father. He will never leave us. He will never stop being a father to us. So I'll close with this and uh, invite the, the worship team to come up. You may be sitting here tonight and you may be thinking, yes, I'm that prodigal son. I'm coming to my senses. I want to return to the father. I want reconciliation. I want to come back to the father's house. I just need to rest in, in who the father is. But how do I do that? Where, where do I start? So let's read from uh, John chapter 1. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, but he who is at the Father's side he has made him known. So how do we get to know the Father? We have to look to Jesus. Nobody has ever seen the Father except for the Son who has been with him. So the Son comes into the world. We behold him full of grace and truth. If God was going to have a Son, it would look just like Jesus. He came to show us the Father. And we need Jesus to come and help us out of our cultural mess that we're in that doesn't know what fatherhood is. So Jesus came to reveal the father to us. He said, guess what? I want you to know the father also so that when we pray, we can join in with him in praying our father who art in heaven. He's my father. He's your father. He's the father of Jesus. Last thing here, Romans chapter 8 says that we have received a spirit of sonship. And that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And that spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I really believe that tonight here, the Holy Spirit is here ministering the Father in this room. That there is a cry in our hearts that's crying, Abba, Father. That we need to know God as Father. We need to receive our state as sons and daughters in his house. So as we close in worship tonight, I want to open up the altar, and I want to just open it up for the Holy Spirit to come and minister fatherhood to us tonight. So let's listen to our hearts. Listen to the Holy Spirit that's bearing witness with our spirit that we are children and crying out, Abba, Father. Amen. You are the only one I need. I bow all of me at your feet. I worship you. Alone.